Letter Fifteen of the History of Lady Barton. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Ivan Yuan from Shanghai High School International Division. The History of Lady Barton by Elizabeth Griffiths. Letter Fifteen. Lord Lucan to Lord Hume. My dear Hume, your letter has relieved me from a thousand apprehensions, which I suffered on your account. It is written in the true spirit of a heart at ease, which no man ever possessed that was thoroughly in love. And though you call me gray. And philosophic, I am much better pleased that your present attachment should be of the frolic than the serious kind. Most of our young men of fortune and fashion look upon a foreign mistress as a part of their travelling equipage, and I think Margarita as well qualified to fill up the train of Milord Angelis. As any other of her sisters, sirens of the opera. I have seen her often and acknowledge her beauty, though I could gaze on her for ever, without feeling any other effect from her charms. But what might arise in my mind from contemplating her picture? Yet I do not think her inanimate. On the contrary. She has great vivacity, both in her looks and manners. But alas, she is totally devoid of sensibility. That first of female charms, her eyes are taught to languish, and every graceful moment of her form has been acquired in the school of art. Read the thirty-seventh and fiftieth letter. Of Ninon de l'Encos to the Marquise de Sevigne, and they will help you to judge more justly, both of her and yourself. They are cases exactly in point. She lived with the Marquise de Richelieu at Turin, where I was there. I knew him intimately. He adored Margarita. And was one of the handsomest and most amiable young men I ever met with. He died of a fever. I pitied Margarita from my soul, and about ten days after his death, went to pay her a visit of condolence, and was informed she had set out for Naples two days before with an English gentleman whose name was Williams. I am much too young to set up for a stoic or a cynic. I know, nay, I feel all the weakness and follies of youth. Yet I cannot help thinking that an attachment to a worthless woman is capable of debasing the noblest mind. Virtue, I fear, is not radical in human nature. Its seed must be sown by precept. Cherished by example and cultivated by habit, 
but when the object of our affection has a distinct interest rather to extinguish than inspire it, the general bias of our passions, aided by the natural indolence of dissipation and debauchery, suffer the plant to wither in its bloom, and thus obliterates the truest character of manhood. On the contrary, let the most vicious man become truly enamored of a virtuous woman, and he will at least assume the semblance of those virtues he admires in her. And youth, as Hamlet says, can almost change the stamp of nature and master even the devil, or thrown him out with wondrous potency. I find myself. Grown grave prematurely, for there is but one paragraph in your letter that I meant to answer seriously. You may easily guess. I mean the one where you speak of Miss Cleveland, and seem to acquaint so entirely in your behavior towards her. And now I have entered upon the subject. I am at a loss to know how to treat it properly. I would fain persuade myself you were but in jest. Yet surely it is wrong to trifle with the esteem of a friend by suffering me to suppose that you could possibly behave so unworthily to a woman of merit and honor. That the gaiety and levity of your temper and your youth might render impossible, nay probable. That you should change your affections and cease to love a mistress you once admired, I can readily believe. But that you can suffer an amiable woman, whom you both flattered and inspired, with a serious passion for you, to be informed of your inconstancy through so coarse a medium as rudeness and neglect, I will not. Nay, I cannot suppose. My friends know better what he owes to himself and to the world. I must be excused from replying to your queries relative to the object of my passion, except so far as to afford you some faint description of her beauty and merits. Her personal charms are so obvious that whoever views her. Do not wait to judge; they strike so subtly that we feel before we think. The excellencies of her character requires some refinement to become sensible of. One must have a nice discernment for natural beauties, and a certain classic taste for the great simple. Her mind is in such a state of perfect nature. That she is not to be examined by the rule of common life, for her words, her actions, and her whole manners borrow a peculiar property from herself alone. She appears to be a sort of privileged genius, of whom may be said with Milton, that whatsoever she says or does seems widest virtuous. Discreetest, best. In others, we may trace the mechanical finger of the nurse 
the mother, the tutoress, or the priest. In her can be discovered, but one only forming hand, even his who made her. In fine, such beauties, both of mind and person, have inspired you till now, insensible friend, with the most tender, ardent, and hopeless love. That ever yet possessed a human heart, and in my breast shall that fond love lie ever buried. I think it will not cease even with my life, but death itself shall never force me to reveal my passion. Press me no farther on the theme, my friend, nor cast away your useless pity on me. For while I can behold her lovely form. And gaze in silent rapture on her beauty. I am not wretched. Nay, in those blissful moments, I feel a sort of happiness I would not charge for all your joys with Margarita. You may very probably have but an imperfect idea of that kind of passion, which I have described, but do not from sense. I philosophically conclude that it cannot exist in any heart, because you do not feel it in your own. This I know to be a common but erroneous mode of judging. We are all too apt to search in our own breasts for the motives of other people's action, and when a want of sympathy, of sentiment, prevents our discovering. Similar principles in ourselves, we are too often tempted to deny their existence in others. I have particularly warned you, my dear Hume, on the subject, because I am certain I could full as easily forgive your doubting my honor, as the unsullied purity of my passion. I most sincerely wish you every pleasure that a life of frolic and gaiety can yield, but beware, my dear Hume, of the thorns that grow spontaneously with the rose. Write to Miss Cleveland, I conjure you, and when your leisure will permit, bestow a few lines on yours sincerely, Lucan. End. Of letter fifteen.